morning. This is Jeff Stevens. Coming to you this morning because uh, I'm questioning my faith. Before you tune out and turn off, bear with me for a second and just hear what I have to say. I think that um, as I'm going through this study of the book of Matthew that we do on Wednesdays, I look at the way that the disciples, the apostles specifically walking with Christ, respond to what Christ would have for them, the example that he sets for them, the proof that he gives to them, that he is who he says he is. And I can't help but wonder how deep, how solid is my faith in him. When times are easy and there's plenty of food in the fridge and the evidences are strong that he is who he says he is, does my faith wither? Do I not give the reverence that I should to the Lord over all creation? And I think as I did this study on Wednesday night, it had dawned on me a couple of days later that as I left the Sermon on the Mount and headed into the eighth chapter of Matthew that I started to realize that much like these guys, it's when times are easy that I don't pay attention, that I'm not as reverent. And bear with me for a second. I just I want you to consider this. Jesus is walking. His ministry is starting. He's doing miracles in the midst of all this chaos. There are demon-possessed people and sick people, believers and non-believers alike. And Christ is fearlessly moving throughout his creation, healing and saving, taking sin away. We see at the beginning of chapter 8, you know, Christ cleaning a leper, something that uh, even a priest wouldn't do. By placing his hands on the man, Christ goes up and touches him. It's witnessed by his apostles, the disciples following him. They also get to see his interaction with the centurion. And this interaction, they get to see that Christ responds with saying that he hasn't seen anyone in all of Israel with faith as great as his. Now, this centurion wasn't walking with him and he wasn't watching all the miracles and he wasn't seeing Christ. We assume that because he lived in Israel, he had heard of this coming Messiah, maybe have studied it and believed. He believed in the power of God. And when he went out to Jesus, he just said, you don't even need to come to my house. Just say the words and my servant will be healed. He goes to God for someone else's healing, not for his own. He goes to God humbly. He goes to God with a need for someone that he obviously loves and someone that he wants to see get better. In his humility, in his time of need and probably sorrow, is where he searches out and seeks out Christ's power. All of this 
right in front of all of Jesus' followers. And then as we see Jesus heal many at Peter's house to include uh, Peter's mother-in-law, we're going to see that we get to a point where Jesus and his apostles are out in a boat. And when they're on this boat, a storm comes. As a storm comes, it gets pretty bad. They find that Jesus is sleeping. And uh, they're obviously afraid for their life because they want to wake him up and say, Hey, Jesus, we're going to die. We need you to do something. We're going to die. And it, the response here is interesting because Jesus says, Why are you afraid, though you have little faith? They had asked him to save them. Now, some would say, as they preach this message, that it is out of faith that they said, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. But it doesn't seem that's the perspective Christ would have. What they are saying is, Why are you afraid? Oh, ye of little faith. Was it because that they had reached rock bottom and they thought, gosh, if he doesn't do something, we're just all going to die? Did they question his power? Did they question who he was? You know, when we juxtapose it, when we set it up against the story of the centurion, the centurion he didn't need any proof. He didn't need to be walking with him. These disciples had been walking with him for quite some time. Listen to the entire Sermon on the Mount. He proved he was God. He proved that he is the fulfillment of Scripture. And then he does all these miracles in their midst. And there's still some sort of question. And he's telling them, look, you don't need to be afraid. I am who I say I am. I'm the God of all creation. When you're with me, tomorrow in eternity is promised. Tomorrow in eternal safety is promised. Don't worry about today. Stop being fearful. I've got this. When you're with me, all is well. And I, from a very practical from a very applicable standpoint. I think it's important that we look at these and when we compare the centurion with the way that the apostles respond in the boat to Jesus, we look at how our lives are. When we are believers and we get up on Sunday and we go to church and we go through the exercise of, you know, getting our nice shirt on and our, getting our kids in the car and getting to church, you know, we go through the motions of singing the songs and we listen to a good message and we bow our heads in prayer. And then we go on our week. Now, Christ is with us. If we're saved, he lives in us. He dwells in us. But do we forget how powerful he is? Do we become fearful and not turn over our lives to him in our daily walk because we're so comfortable? Does it take the stress of a storm for us to look back to Christ and say, I need you? Wouldn't it be best if we were more like the centurion and come to him in our humility at all times, go out from our house and go to him for others, go to him humbly 
Yeah, it was a it was a servant that the centurion would have lost or would have remained paralyzed. Would it have really affected the centurion's lifestyle all that much, having over a hundred soldiers working for him, other servants? Probably not. But his love for others, his love for his family and his men, his recognition of Christ's power is what shows that he's a fervent believer. Conversely, these men, these apostles, these great men of the first century that leave an amazing legacy show us that at the times when we feel our strongest, when things are easy and we're walking with the Lord and everything seems like it's going to be all right, is when we forget how powerful he is. It's when we don't put that in perspective that we become ineffective as believers and as witnesses, as fathers, as mothers, and as friends. Do we live our lives humility in humility for Christ every single day? I think it's important to reflect on this. Where do we know, where do we find out where Christ has his power like this, right? Is all authority really his? You know, Matthew 28, 18 tells us that Jesus came up and said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You know, he's going to go on from there and give us the great commission. He's going to tell us to go and disciple people, to baptize them. He's telling us that the authority to do this is his that the authority to baptize people in his name is his. That is the authority over creation. People are baptized and in belief, in faith in him, are removed from the dead. You know, Paul reminds us in Ephesians in 121 that far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. That is who Jesus Christ is. God is the one who put Jesus in that position. He sent him here from before the foundations of time, God's plan. He put Jesus in that place when he was incarnate. He exalts him. Paul tells us this in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, where he says, therefore God, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So this has been on my heart for a couple of days as I read through this and I, you know, as we compare the stories and we look at the entire timeline instead of just taking two or three verses and examining them, which is fine. We compare them to one another and see the way that people respond. People respond that were and were not walking with Christ. Is this not the life that we live? Us believers, us churchgoers, us who are supposed to be the light of the world, the salt, those that are supposed to be the change agents that are in our communities, when we're responding to others, when we're living our life out in front of others, do we respond like the disciples in fear? Because we haven't settled it yet that Christ is the king of over 
all of creation that he has the power to do absolutely anything or do we respond like the centurion who goes out to God lays himself out and says I have a friend I have a servant who needs you I think this is some important introspection into our own lives as we go out this week after you do church tomorrow morning what will Monday look like? Will Monday be a day where Christ is revealed in your walk? Where because of the things you do and the things you say, people see a servant's heart. People see a believer's heart. People who see someone who rests in the divine power and glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or will they just see someone who goes to church? How about your kids? Will your kids just see a family that goes to church? You know, I've done this. You argue on your way to church to get everything in order. You put on a smile when you leave the car. Everything looks great when you go in the doors. As you leave the church and get in the car, you argue about which buffet you should go to. Make it to lunch. Eat as much food as you can, go home, argue some more, and then pass out on the couch in front of a ball game. Is this the reverence we have for the Lord of all creation? Or do we really know, like the centurion, that Christ doesn't even need to come to us? All he needs to do is say the word. Say the word and we're healed. And of course, this is a metaphor, right? say the word and we're healed of all of our sin, all of our transgression, that he removes us from death and brings us to life. That maybe our affirmance won't be healed physically today, but when he calls us home, we go home to be with the Father in the garden, in paradise for eternity. This is important to remember as we look at the way that we relate to one another with Christ, is that we remind people that this healing is much more than what we see here in the present, in the visceral, in the temporal, that it is very important to know that this is eternal healing. This is so much more important. So study this today. Take a look at Mark eight, excuse me, Matthew 8, and go back and just read these stories. I think you'll find it's got a lot more for you if you continue to read. And I hope that this uh, short message was encouraging for you today. Be like the centurion. Stay on the grind.